0: Welcome back to Fast Forward. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. Each week we look at the different business issues that keep entrepreneurs awake at night. And we're recording this podcast a few days before Black Friday, which is apt because this is an episode that is all about e-commerce. A recent survey by Engine has found that people are spending on average 10 to 30% more online as a result of the pandemic. And there is growth across all e-commerce categories, but in particular subscription and convenience services that have seen growth in revenues of 200% and conversion of 140%. So, we've invited one of Manchester's homegrown success stories, Tim Hyde, founder of social media marketing agency, TWH Media, to join us today to help us get to grips with the rapidly growing focus on on online retail and e-commerce. Welcome, Tim, to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here.
0: We will get into your astronomical rise in the social media world shortly uh, in household names such as Lab Bible and Social Chain. Um, But let's start with the here and now and the immediate challenges that that we're all facing or certainly businesses are. As a retailer, um, Tim, it must be, it's never been more important to have a digital strategy, right? Um, You've been helping retailers that have been forced to close their physical stores. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's it's certainly been interesting times for for everyone on a human level, but also on a a business level. And um, I think that there has been opportunity for for brands out there that have been willing to sort of be agile to you know invest in in kind of social and digital platforms to to help recover some of that that lost revenue. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of brands that we've been working with in the past six months that have done incredibly well because there's there's an opportunity there and especially when, you know, um, there, there's a sort of a Jewish bakery in, in London called Bagel Bake. And, you know, that, that was really an institution um, in East London. Um, and obviously, um, people weren't allowed outside. They massively pivoted, created um, an app delivery service with a five-mile radius and were able to drive incredible amounts of traction, both organically and through sort of paid strategies, um, which made them, yeah, a hell of a lot of return on, on their investment, which is a, you know, really great success story. And it's, um, you know, really cool that uh, an institution like that have been able to get to grips with the sort of social and digital landscape to, to generate great revenue and great profit. Um, at the same time, you know, not all brands are in that you know financial position to invest in these platforms. But um, I definitely think from a distribution of risk perspective, it is really key for a lot of businesses to look at, you know, all the ways that they can generate revenue because these are really tough times for a lot of businesses.
0: Oh, it really is. It's been so heartbreaking to see, you know, the ones that haven't managed to 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 do that. Um, and that that story about the JH Bakery—that's brilliant. That's such a, a such a a powerful message, and um, that you know, it doesn't matter how old or established your business is, that you can find those opportunities, right? Um, but the app the app is obviously part of a bigger a bigger story, and it the the online presence is. Um, I guess transforming even from what we even perceived it to be. Um, Amazon Live is a prime example. That's a sort of new kind of innovation that's happening in the social media space. Um, And Amazon's Prime uh, events use retailers use their networks of influencers and allow them to create live video content around future products. Like that's that seems to be like a whole new um, sort of piece in the game. Um, So live streaming, this is a new thing. What's happening with that? Um, can you tell us what it is? <laughs> tell us what it is yeah, and are course. we all going to see more about it?
1: Um, yeah, I think um, across, across the spectrum, you know, platforms are going to continue to integrate customizable features to help those e-commerce, um, fun- that functionality. So whether you look at, you know, Instagram stories, Instagram live, shoppable tags are, are coming to those. Whether you look at, you know, one-click checkouts with companies like Fast, you know, what um, these platforms are trying to do is is reduce the amount of friction, take a bit of um, of that revenue that's that's taken through the payment providers as well, and make more money for themselves. But I mean, I think Amazon's just you know such a behemoth. Um, you know, they they have more than any business really redefined what e commerce is. You know, whether it's that Prime shipping, one day shipping, you know, even same day shipping is completely um, you know adapt, made sure that consumer habits have completely um, changed over the past sort of five years because we're now used to and almost expect um, mm-hmm. the amazing kind of logistics side of Amazon. I suppose on, on the kind of live stream st- um, standpoint, um, it, it's a great new feature that you can obviously leverage, um, you know, that ability to really show off a product. I think it takes a lot of that uh, consumer behavior from shopping channels like QVC showing the product getting that those what you would feel like a real reviews of a product rather than just seeing yeah. uh, an image or a video of it. And I think that's going to be um, a huge driving force for Amazon and, and other platforms moving forward. But I think, again, it's, it's obviously looking at brands, how they can... Uh, differentiate themselves from competitors and whether that's showing off the product in different ways talking about different usps getting influencer and ambassadors to create those touch points and build brand sentiment i mean there's so many tactical things that go into you know selling a product and that's what e-commerce brands really need to do and i think it's just going to keep evolving as, as time goes on
0: and and ramping up i think maybe even at the pace that we're seeing these these new changes um now You have produced some pretty engaging live streams yourself, I believe, um, with some uh, very impressive numbers, uh, 2.4 million comments on just one. Um, So tell us a bit about that. Like, how do you even go about putting something like that piece of content together? And did you expect to get that kind of response?
1: Um, yes and no is, is a rubbish way to answer that question. I suppose, um, you know, that's a couple of years ago now, um, back in my sort of social chain days. Um, yeah. and, and we had, you know, not only did we have a sort of phenomenal distribution network, but we also had sort of clients that were willing to push the boundaries. Um, I think this was sort of 2016, 17, when Facebook specifically were really pushing live. And, and what you'll find with a lot of these, you know, um, social media platforms as well as platforms like Amazon is when they roll out a new tool if you like they will leverage that within the algorithm because from an advertising perspective it helps them build great case studies and and it helps massively increase the adoption and so we we, you know it's it's a little bit of timing but I think for us we just looked at you know how do we leverage the platforms how do we understand consumer habits how do we continue to refine that process so we we ended up doing I think the top nine branded live streams of all time at at that time and um, what happened is you know incrementally improving them each time whether it was um, referral mechanics, whether it was gamifying the engagement within the comment section, whether it was making the the on screen content you know better and, and more engaging, then it was all about sort of starting off. Here's a cool idea, and how do you keep improving that? And and it led to uh, a fair few records, which was obviously really exciting for us and, and the brands we were working with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean, half the things you're saying, Tim, I'm not even sure I understand what they mean. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and there'll be a lot of people that are building businesses right now. Who will be feeling that that kind of uh, that kind of uh, sense. Um, so for for uh, I suppose for I suppose for the big the big guys and also the little guys. You know, what is the key to making video content? Because obviously we there are very different budgets um, available to people's disposal, particularly now. Um, so what would you say um would be the key to making that content in that kind yeah, of space? Uh,
1: yeah, it's a much bigger question actually. And I think it, it comes down to understanding your audience and, and making sure that you're providing value. You know, whether that's making someone laugh, making someone cry, whether that's educating them. I think at the, the core of any good content, you know, you get that emotional reaction out of someone. Um, and I think that's that's the exciting thing for, for all brands, whether it's the rise of sort of UGC, so user-generated content within advertising. You know, it doesn't have to be these, you know, 100 grand budgets to do these amazing, you know, well-grained um, video shoots. Absolutely uh, something shot on an iPhone or, you know, shot, shot on a, an old iPhone even um, can be your best performing content. And I think the, the ability to not only shoot content and get real content that, that makes people feel like it is real and, and rather than staged and is advertising is also the ability to actually amplify that content and make sure that the people that you want to be able to see your content are. And then um, on top of that is, is trying to get that kind of organic traction where people are therefore sharing on dark social um, and so that one time investment on, on a bit of video content can, can massively be repaid later down the line.
0: And how is it repaid? You know, so how do we convert that piece of content um, into, you know, sales? Like we're, we're talking about now kind of like the content funnel, aren't we, I suppose, um, you know, generating that, that funnel for the customer to end up buying from us. Um, how do we do that through, through those videos?
1: It massively depends. So, um, you know, whether you look at it from a to consumer perspective or a B2B perspective, you know, you can look at podcasts as well. Um, all content is, you know, the, the medium that it's on. If it's engaging people, you're building up that brand equity. You're making, you're, you're differentiating yourselves from competitors and making customers more likely to buy from yourselves. Now, if you're able to do that and at the same time, you know, educate people about your, your mission, your why, why people should buy into what you're doing compared to competitors, um, that is massively going to help that kind of conversion rate. It's it's the same with everything. If you've got better content, a better website, a better product market fit, a better price proposition, you know you're putting yourself in that best position to be successful. I suppose from a kind of like content funnel perspective, there's um, some e-commerce data that basically suggests that two percent of um, sales are made on that first initial touch point. And what that you know, says to me is that you must have such a phenomenal product that someone sees you for the first time ever and then purchases that product. You know it's not very likely that that's going to happen. Uh, and so you can't, you know, base your whole business on, you know, putting out one bit of content and assuming that sales are just going to start flooding in. However, this data also suggests that between the 5th and 12th touchpoint, that's where 80% of sales are made. And so if you're able to nurture that audience, if you're able to continually engage them whether that's through video content, imagery content, influencer content, blogs, podcasts, if you're able to sort of um, create that frequency illusion where, you know, people are are sort of slowly learning more about your why and and why you're doing things or or even just the quality of your product and and how it compares to other things out there, that's massively going to help you uh, convert those people from, you know, whether it's leads into sales or whether Mm. it's, you know, a generic kind of social media audience into paying customers.
0: I mean, you're describing it and I can... See myself being that consumer, and <laughs> particularly because we are all spending more time online. You know, I think the use of the internet's gone up fifty percent over the lockdown. But you know, we're all in this kind of scrolling, <laughs> you know, uh, mindset, and you constantly see different brands that pop up, and they pop up the first time, and then they pop up three or four more times. And I, I can see myself. You're describing it. And I can go. Yeah, I can see. I can see how I, th- I can think of things in my house right now that I've bought <laughs> because that's happened to me. <laughs> the dark arts the, the wizard the wizardry of social media um, what's also
1: sorry to interrupt but what's also no, important okay. to, to mention is the fact that like this is great in theory but you know not every purchase has like that linear consumer journey you know not every purchase that you've made within your house or even you know the things that you're looking at in your desk you know you, you didn't necessarily go on that perfect user journey where whereas when you had five to 12 touch points and then you bought sometimes it's one or two mm-hmm. but it depends on the, the sort of marketing levers that you um, uh, tend to like try and switch on so for example um, that that might be a case of, of one social media ad converts really well because you're using social proof you're using a customer testimonial and that actually might convert really really well because people trust in you know real reviews. But it might be at the same time that you've got like a big brand awareness piece, which is, you know, much more about kind of establishing who we are as a brand, right? This is what we stand for. And you're not looking to, you know, generate that sale there and then, however, you understand that later down the line, because you've established that um touch point because you've educated people on the things that you stand for those people um you know in a couple of touch points time are more likely to be converted but i think that's the tough thing for marketers is it's you know there isn't just a one-size-fits-all strategy there's great theory you know there's great data to back this up but at the end of the day it comes down to you know great product market fit getting great content in front of the right people and social and digital allows you to do both of those certainly at scale
0: and I think probably even, you know, with the things that we've all experienced during lockdown, particularly the first time around, you know, we all were all living our normal lives. And then the next day the world stopped, um, but we still needed things. And perhaps maybe well, you were talking earlier about timing um, and um, perhaps even need rather than, you know, more of the i suppose the luxuries that we all kind of um bestow on ourselves um, you know that kind of maslow hierarchy need, like what do we need we basically we need grocery, you know we need basically need groceries to eat you know and clothes to wear and me- medicines um to keep us to keep us well um so it's it's probably down to a little bit of timing as well um, absolutely so the um we've touched on some of the Sort of, I guess, some of the innovation that's happening in in e-commerce with live streaming. Um, but what what does that where does that fit in the future of of e-commerce? What does that look like for us all? And what are some of the things that are coming down the pipeline that are going to be blowing our minds? <laughs> um, in the in the world of e-commerce, Tim.
1: I think you know e- e-commerce certainly um, how much we're using it and the scale of it specifically in the UK is continuing to rise. You know, in the US. Um, the adoption of e-commerce was, was probably quite a lot higher, you know, people spend a hell of a lot more in the US on products that they can get, you know, one day shipping for, from Amazon on, whereas I think in the UK we are a little more set in our ways, you know, locality is a massive aspect of that, it's much easier for a lot of us to nip round to a local shop or supermarket, whereas, you know, obviously America's huge and, you know, some of those locations are very rural and it's, it's not so easy to, to go and get those um, necessary items. Um, I suppose from, like, a innovation perspective, uh, th- there's loads of stuff coming. You know, where, again, we've, we've talked about some of these shoppable live streams. Um, there's going to be continued inter- integrations and, and shoppable tags across all the social media platforms, not just Facebook and Instagram. You know, Snapchat are working on it. Um, you know, TikTok's continuing to build really quite innovative ad products, which I think is quite exciting. You know, actually, from an advertising perspective, that the platforms have been fairly stale in the fact that, yeah, you've got, um, you know, Image ads, video ads, um, you've got um, collection ads. Um, you can create like in-app experiences, which are great from a brand perspective. But I think t- where TikTok um, have have kind of innovated is that they're, they're looking at these sort of big, bigger media buys of where you can sponsor trends, but actually look at building the the entire kind of digital footprint around something. And they've done some really cool integra- integrations with. Uh, Verticals that people are are already talking about, so it's a case of amplifying that. So, you know, TikTok worked very closely with Fortnite where they're getting people to send in, you know, dances which are copying things that people do in the game. You know, I'm certainly not a gamer in in any sense, but you kind of see the the mass awareness of these campaigns. Yeah. And it's really, really impressive because at the end of the day, these brands are getting massive bang for their buck. And I think that's a great opportunity in the social and digital landscape is it still is so much cheaper than traditional media. And if you're able to sort of, again, build those touch points on a social and digital platform because of various different tracking methods, you're able to then retarget those people, you're able to understand that audience better and therefore serve them with a better content and a better user experience.
0: TikTok, can we just speak about that for a second because it has literally blown my mind Uh, in so many ways you know I'm not a TikToker Uh, I have a few friends that are are obsessed (laughs) with it Um, but I have you know it's hard to not notice um, the you know they've taken the kind of Facebook concept of the golden thread and put it on steroids and you know we're now we're now listening to music on the radio that started on TikTok and and I was talking to my friend who's in marketing about this and she went yeah Trish TikTok is a music platform <laughs> and I was like oh right okay <laughs> okay um so like and they have like the the consumers are the biggest advocates for it they're the ones that are pushing you know and sharing their content and that's you know it's going viral obviously they've got you know some really powerful influencers who've really bought into it Jason Drillo obviously uh, being one of them um, but how does that like how does that all or how does that end up in something that I end up buying as a result of you know, crazy dances that are happening on TikTok?
1: I think what they've done really well is they've transcended culture uh, and through their algorithm, which, you know, was the one thing they refused to sort of settle, they, they've been able to create hype. And, and actually, more than any other platform at the moment, there's that opportunity to go viral, which, as we kind of now know in the world of influencers, Instagram, uh, you know, even YouTubers, there's the fact that that's something that's very appealing to a lot of people. So they've massively invested in helping their creators as well, which I think some other platforms have, have sort of been lacking in. Um, but I think when it comes to kind of the e-commerce side of, of TikTok, it's, it's, you know, who's influencing who and, and you know, how uh, are you as a marketer able to leverage the people on TikTok to help sell your products. And because at the end of the day, it's it's mass mass reach and um, it's also a lot more specific. They've focused on their lane. Whereas if you now look at um, Snapchat, released yesterday, they've got their version of kind of TikTok. You've got Reels, which is kind of Instagram's version of TikTok. It seems like all the other social platforms are kind of copying, you know, other platforms to kind of stay relevant rather than kind of sticking mm-hmm. to their lane. You know, Twitter with yeah. stories. Just in the last couple of weeks, it's it's kind of crazy that we it. You know, each social platform actually doesn't feel as unique anymore. We might have, um, you know, per user a, a specific way that we talk to people on each platform and a sp- specific community on there. But you know, the, the copycat nature of, of the industry is certainly kind of you know diluting innovation uh, because it just seems like yeah everyone's copying each other.
0: Yeah, I noticed Reels last Sunday, and I was like, what is this? I don't even know what this is, but it feels like TikTok. But I'm on Instagram. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Um, now, you are, you know, definitely you have your finger on the pulse with all of the latest in- innovation, what's happening in social media. You've just given us a million, expen- uh, you know, uh, uh, touch points there that we could all go and start looking at. Um, so let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey and how you've managed to accumulate that wealth of knowledge. So um, your journey started at Lab Bible um when you were 18 i'm not sure how you ended up there maybe tell us a bit about that um and then we'll talk a bit about sort of you know it's facebook uh following and how you've grown it to well you grew it tenfold in 10 months um from you know just over 1 million to 10 million um in those 10 months so like pretty impressive for someone that's just straight out of the gates so tell us all about that
1: yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to a bit of luck. But yeah, so um, straight from school, always wanted to be a journalist. You know, really, really passionate about sports, about sport, about sport even. You know, um, love lots of different sports, not just um, football. So wanted to be a journalist and um, ended up doing my, um, uh, like, journalism exams uh, while working as an intern. And um, As you're from Manchester, do you know who Axie is? The graffiti artist. Um, and so as working as a journalist... Um, he created like some breaking bad murals and um, (laughs) we covered it as a story which was amazing but it ended up being the publication's most engaged story because that where he did it was actually just down the road from where a meth lab had been uncovered so you know lots of people had their thoughts on that and so I got you know fairly friendly with Axie and he just created um, a mural in the Lack Bible offices and you know he, he didn't want to disclose where that was and with my sort of Mm -hmm. journalism hat on I kind of uncovered where it was realized that you know Led Bible had an office um you know couldn't believe it at the time um you know this is back in what 2013-14 and um you kind of just thought it as a a publisher and I was able to sort of get an interview with um with with Arian who's one of the co-founders of Led Bible and um got on really well with him story went up and a couple months later he offered me as a, a job as a writer um, I think I was number 11 uh, at Lab Bible, and, and, and back in those days, you know, we, it was very much a team effort in, you know, creating the stories that went on the website, finding social content to put on on that Facebook page, understanding how to leverage the algorithm to to maximise that growth, and, you know, from there, I, I learned a hell of a lot about social media, how to, you know, really understand that that core audience and, and what they were interested in, um, and we were able to, to massively grow from there, and it was, yeah, it was a, it was a great time.
0: Um and then you moved to social chain. So um you know what prompted the move? Where had you did you feel like you had done everything that you could at Lab Bible or was there something new and cutting edge happening at the social chain, you know, what, what made what prompted the move?
1: No, not at all. Um so I won um the Lab Bible's employee of the year when I was um eighteen, nineteen and then I got fired out of the blue. Um oh. which was yeah, yeah <laughs> <Wow>. um,
0: <laughs> okay, something that
1: no, I, I can be very honest about it. You know, it was something that at the time completely shook me. I think a lot of my self-worth was tied to that job. I was really proud of it. Um, I worked incredibly hard. You know, I thought I did a really good job. But, you know, for, for one reason or another, um, you know, the, the bosses there certainly didn't think that. And, and actually, um, an opportunity at Social Chain came along. Um, and again, you know, I ended up joining Social Chain at, as employee number 11 again. And that's really where I, you know, started to learn more about things from a kind of marketing perspective, you know, I'd kind of understand how you can kind of engage an audience and grow it on social media. But that's where, you know, I almost got a little bit sneakier where it was like, actually, how can you leverage that engagement to drive purchase decision? How can you grow brands on social media, not just publishers? And um, yeah, it's probably, you know, without a doubt, the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, Certainly at the time, I didn't think that, but um, I've been pretty fortunate since then. And um, yeah, sometimes you just sort of find a way.
0: If you're enjoying the podcast, simply hit the like and subscribe button on your favourite podcast platform. If you have the time, leave us a review. You can do that really easily by going to ratemypodcast.com forward slash um, fast forward. Can we just um, touch on that experience that you had? Obviously, there's a lot of people going through, um, us, sadly, that whether it's redundancy or you know redundancy wrapped up as something else, but a lot of people are losing their jobs right now, and you know would perhaps be in the same boat that you were in, you know where you your identity was tied up with that um, that success that you'd experienced there. Um, how did you deal with that at the time? And you know how do, how were you able to move forward from that? And what did you learn? Like how have you then changed that story? Because. You know, no one needs to be tied to their job. We are, you know, we're more than we're more than the sum of what the work that we do. Um, could you maybe give some advice around that?
1: Of course, absolutely. Um, you know, I think when I was, you know, slightly younger, um, I was really embarrassed about it. You know, I think, um, I, you know, it's not not a, a great thing to get fired. But um, fortunately, I think if, if you look at Lad Bible, there's been a, a lot of staff turnover and, you know, some of the relationships I still have with with some of those guys, you know, they certainly respected, you know, how I worked and and what I did and what I brought to that team. And so I was, you know, that helped me certainly that, you know, it wasn't just me. I absolutely had to Mm -hmm. be accountable for things. But I think as well, that concept of actually, um, you know, you were good at, at, at what I did, but, you know, how did I react? I cried. I cried probably every day for two weeks. I was absolutely mortified. I was, you know, friends and family couldn't believe it. I literally have, you know, the award certificate employee of the year and, was told I was going to be made a manager and, and got fired. It, it, it was, you know, a, a traumatic experience. But yeah. I think what what happened, you know, time certainly helped a little bit. Um, but it's a case of, you know, you can't sit here, there and, and, and expect sympathy from everyone. You, you have to get up and, and work hard and, and try and find what, what that next thing is going to be. And again, you know, it comes down to luck. Social Chain, were are looking for someone at the time. Um, I met Dom in an interview, got on really well with him and, and got offered of the job pretty, you know, shortly after. And, and from there, you know, was a started as a social media exec, left Left as a sort of direct level um, in a couple mm-hmm. of years, grew from, you know, I was number 11, I think we had 80 by the end of that first year and obviously I think a lot of people know the success that social chain has still had and to be honest yeah. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, being accountable, um, learning from your mistakes, um, understanding that even if you don't believe that that decision was right, there are still things you could do better and how can you improve yourself, whether that's reading books whether that's looking at your body language whether that's you know getting really really up to date with all the newest techniques I think you know that mentality of backing yourself and always trying to improve is is kind of the only way to, to get where you want and um, I was pretty lucky that um, I, I have a pretty good work ethic um, and, and that massively helps like I very much saw that what I was putting in you know in those early days of social change I was going to get out massively and and be willing to say yes to everything you know not oh no that means more work it's like yes that's an opportunity to prove myself and um i definitely had a chip on my shoulder for for quite a few years after but it's it's definitely definitely helped me moving forward
0: yeah, I think it's about focusing on yourself and that the, the opportunities will, will come along. And, you know, you've said a few times there, you know, about, you know, you'd had clients that were prepared to push the envelope and you were trying some pretty innovative stuff. So things were going to go wrong. Um, You know, that's what it's all about, really, when you're on that edge of, of innovation. Um, So social chain really gave you such a, a, such a broad um, additional scope in terms of the marketing skills that you, you needed. Um, and then you decided to go, go it alone and you've launched your own business a couple of years ago, um, which is great to see. Um, so tell us a bit about that decision and um, how you came about deciding to go um, and launch TWH and what yep. you're hoping to do with it.
1: Um, cool, yeah. So, um, you know, I'm still very close with a lot of the people at Social Chain. You know, I actually really do consider them my close family. Um, and it, it was a really tough decision. But I think from my growth, um, one of the things that, that sort of pushed me over the edge to, to leave, I got offered a really cool role at an agency called Agency TK. Um, and when I was 21, they asked me to look after a third of that agency globally. So I was between Leeds, London and Los Angeles. You know, travelling had always been something that really interested me. But one of the biggest things was, um, you know, we were almost writing the book on, on social media marketing at Social Chain. You know, there wasn't kind of all these studies or as this, as the amount of data as even there is now on how to do things. And a lot of it just came back to, you know, how, how do you engage people? How do you put out the best content? How do you get in front of people? Uh, and a lot of it was kind of very tactical uh, rather than sort of broader strategy. But what we found a lot of the time of, and, and this happens with every new industry is, you could always tell where a marketing director was from. It, you know, we'd be, you know, six, seven figure social media brief and they'd go, well, where's the SEO strategy? And we'd, we'd kind of be sat there like, you know, that's, that's not this brief. And, and I didn't want to just have the lens mm-hmm. of, right, only what I do is social media. I wanted to understand, you know, how can you integrate um, omnichannel Strategies, you know, how can you leverage TV? How can you leverage radio? How can you leverage print? How, how do you really create those impactful campaigns to build brands? Because that's what I was really passionate about. And I think social media, although it's a phenomenal channel to drive acquisition, and, and a lot of what I do now it is the performance marketing side actually to to get brands to the level of scale where you can do something really impactful that absolutely um needs um multiple parts of media and so that opportunity there was amazing um learned a, a hell of a lot and it just came to a point then they broke a few promises and I had quite a few clients that were that you know were willing to take the risk on me and, and start my own thing and um yeah it's been a, a pretty good three and a half years since
0: yeah um well- Probably like any entrepreneur starting out in their own, it can be a bit hairy at the beginning. And um, what of the the sort of what was the first year like, and um, what have the following years uh, been like for you as a, as um, a business do you know, owner?
1: Do you know what I, I was super lucky, so I, I I'm pretty risk averse actually, uh, which might sound um, contradictory given that I run my own business and have a fair few different ventures. But um, <laughs> you know, it, it was literally a case of. Based on some of the connections i would made, typically in the States, actually, I had two clients that were like, yeah, we'll pay you this. And I was going to earn way more money, work a lot less and have that quality of life and freedom that I was striving for. So it was such a logical decision. But even then, you know, I was really scared. Um, And I'd say this to loads of friends that have since started businesses like I had. Like every tick box, you know, I had stable client base. I was going to earn more money. I knew who those clients were going to be. And I was still really worried that jump is something that's really big and, and can be really difficult to do because I'd never done it before. But it's undoubtedly been, um, you know, the best decision um, I, I've ever made. I suppose how mm-hmm. has business been for me. Um, again, I've just been really, really lucky. I've had some phenomenal wins, some great client relationships. I think um, where I'm lucky is the fact that my background certainly intrigues people whether it's conversations about lab bible social chain the brands i've worked yeah. with the connections i've made through that has massively put me at an advantage compared to a lot of people um and then i think over time it just compounds good work i think if you speak to a lot of agencies what 78 percent of their business comes from referral uh, and i'm no different and so if you work hard you treat people well you do great work that as a as a business model in itself t- tends to work out so yeah you know i think I now spend about £16 million a year on performance advertising, Um, have helped scale uh, a lot of brands, have raised a couple of million um, through crowdfunding campaigns, which has been, you know, really, really cool projects. Raised $2 million for a tech product in Canada that I helped co-found and, um, yeah, won won a couple of awards, but also, you know, helped scale a few brands from five to eight figures, which... That for me is the thing that I'm, I'm definitely most proud of because, you know, it's a real business case study of how you can leverage social and digital to build business, not just generate vanity metrics.
0: I mean, that sounds like, it literally sounds like the kind of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory version of starting a business. <laughs> that, that, Ben, you know, you keep talking about luck, Tim, and I don't know, I think luck comes along to people who invest a lot of time into making it happen. Um, but um, they're you know, with, with all of that success, you know, we talk about um, the crisis of growth. You know, when we... Um, you know, when, when businesses scale so fast and obviously you have had incredible success over three years, that mu- that must have brought a set of challenges on its own because you obviously started out as yourself and now you've grown the business to, you know, to hire staff and bring people in. And, you know, how does that, what are those kind of challenges like for you?
1: Massive. And, and a lot of them are mental, um, to be honest. Um, you know, <laughs> I think the biggest the biggest challenge I have had has been chasing invoices, and a lot of small businesses go through this. You know, there's there's big invoices that aren't paid on time. You know, managing that cash flow, and that's you know, I don't see myself as the best CEO in the world. I think I'm a, I really do think I'm a really good marketer. Um, I think you know I've I've been able to sort of see behind the curtain and help grow brands, and so you can take those learnings and apply them across industries. That's what you know my calling card is. But you know, running a big business is really really tough, and so my opinion of, of myself has always been focus on what you're really good at because at social chain you know Steve to this day is still one of the most brilliant people I've ever been around and he struggled being a CEO you know managing cash flow taxes HR issues multiple offices it's an incredibly difficult job you know everyone thinks our oh, CEO loads of money share options nice cars it's it's but it's a really difficult job and, and I was able to um, just see and, and leverage my skills for what they were. I, you know, I don't think I'm special, but I think I'm good at a very specific thing, and I kind of doubled down on that. And luckily, it was an industry where, also from a performance perspective, it was growing. But also, I can be very transparent with my clients. You know, there's no fancy sales pitches. There's no kind of like ambiguity about what I'm doing. It's like, hey, this is how much revenue we've generated you. And, and I don't think I'm a great salesman either so my skills uh, you know the proof is all in the pudding so yeah there, there's there's a matter of luck absolutely but there's also a, a hell of a lot of hard work um which you know can can be taxing mentally um but again I think i've I've just been really really lucky I've got a great support system around me I've got a lot of friends that have since you know started businesses and we're able to you know, deal with some of those issues that you go through as a as a business owner. Um, and also mm-hmm. invest in, in other projects, which I think still, you know, excites me. Um, which, you know, I think is, you know, if you're happy with yourself, that's kind of what you can aim for.
0: Um you've just touched on something I think is so important for people at the early stage of their business um, careers, which is that kind of peer support, finding it somewhere in a group of like minded people you know, almost having a shared experience where you can bounce ideas and sort of um, hack out, you know, solutions to typical business problems that affect everybody. You know, people are at the heart of every business, regardless of what it is that they're, they're doing. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great to be able to share that um, level of uh, an- anxiety, which it can cause you um, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it absolutely does yeah um, so what does the future of the agency look like to you? Where are you hoping to take it over the next um sort of two years three years interesting question
1: I've never been good at forecasting stuff it's just you know it's something that I try and i I like to be a lot more pragmatic. I can go you know if this if I was doing this for a client, it would go, well, it depends on what you spend is let let's look at the landscape and let's you know do it in kind of incremental jumps because you know, if I look at myself five years ago, I'd never think I'd be in, in this position now And, and because the, the yes. landscape and the industry I'm in mean, that moves so quickly. Um, the, the focus for me is, is maintaining a really strong quality of life. I, I get to work on some really exciting projects with um, some amazing people. And um, you know, I, I've got to do a lot of work with DreamWorks. I've done some stuff with Apple Music, Spotify. I just put together the European Marketing Strategy for Optimum Nutrition. Now, they're all really big names which is you know cool from a vanity perspective but the projects i'm really proud of are a lot smaller brands it's being able to you know for your um your input to be really respected and you put together a plan a strategy that then you can help implement and and, and see you know the fruits of your labor i think that's that's what i get my my most joy out of um, seeing those businesses grow growing with those people working out how to solve the the problems of scaling a business in a social and digital landscape and. Um, you know focusing on my core skills rather than you know expecting me to be able to do everything um and so yeah I think you know keep on keeping on um I've been able to certainly survive this year and has ended up being a bit of a record year which you know in March I didn't think it would be I was you Hmm. know bringing friends absolutely petrified I lost 40% of my business overnight because anyone that was in retail travel or hospitality paused um, and that was a really difficult thing because you understand ex- absolutely why those clients were pausing because, you know, their businesses closed down, but at the same time, you know, that, that massively screwed me and it was a really difficult period, but with the, you know, adoption in social and digital marketing, I've, I've been in a really strong position to, to capitalise on that. And so, yeah, I definitely, again, you know, it comes down to being a bit lucky, but also putting yourself in the, the position to capitalise on, on that look. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think. How long did it take for the kind of I suppose because it that affected all marketing agencies, didn't it? Um, how long did it take for that kind of I suppose bounce back, or for for those retailers and um, the clients to pivot to into these new markets? Like when did so that you lost forty percent in March, but like did it had it reinvent had it reappeared by May? You know how long did that kind of shockwave last?
1: Some some clients you know haven't. Um and I think you know, not saying they've buried their head in the sand, but they just, you know, from for business reasons, um, haven't haven't been able to, to pivot how I would have advised. Um, in fairness to a lot of those, I think some of the, the things that almost gets overlooked is because of the changes in some of the small print on furlough schemes, it massively impacted a lot of these businesses because, you know, they're looking at cash flow, they're looking at, you know, staffing, they're looking at how to, you know, keep that business surviving. And one small change massively impacts them. And so they actually didn't have that confidence in, right, this is the plan based on these circumstances. It was kind of changing for a couple of months. Um, It probably took me, you know, two months to get back up to the sort of revenue targets I was consistently hitting and... Since then, you know, my costs have also gone down. I'm I'm normally travelling a lot. I've got a lot of clients in the US that I have to see. got a lot of clients in London. I'm I'm Nutsford-based, so that was a lot of travel to that. And so, um, you know, other than spending a hell of a lot of time on Zoom, um, this year has been extremely (laughs) efficient for me, um, which, you know, has has, has been great in, in some aspects.
0: Yeah, there's definitely been some some upsides. Um and uh, hopefully 2021 will give us a much more balanced better life if we all see these vaccines come through. Um so, so, so. <laughs> you 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 grow the business by focusing on exciting projects and and building innovation into everything that you do. Are there any sort of daily habits that you um, that you go by? Is it, you know, it, it feels like it's you're more of a here and now guy rather than a, what's happening in five years. So is there anything day to day that you do that um, that other people could maybe take some tips from?
1: Uh, potentially. I mean, try, just trying to get outside, you know, even if it's a five, 10, 15 minute walk, just get the, <laughs> the blood pumping. I, I certainly think that, you know, you feel a lot better just getting out the house, um, and, and yeah, breathing in some some fresh air. Uh, I think that's that's kind of a, a mini thing. Um, you know, fueling your body with the right stuff. Um, you know, I think sometimes we overlook uh, the nutritional value of eating and, and how that can help your your brain function at a higher level. Uh, that's probably a kind of mini thing. But to be honest, I would say habits wise, it, it comes down to you know what suits you and what suits your lifestyle. You know, I can't sit here and lecture someone that's got you know two kids. One business, you know, a wife. Do you know what I mean, it's it's so difficult. Yeah. I, I only have my my lens on that, but I think you know, balancing things. Um, I'm someone that does work a lot, but also understanding when is the right time to switch off, when is the right time to work hard, and, and, and you know, almost listen to your body a little bit because otherwise you do burn out. Um, and I think that's yeah. been more kind of common than ever this year. Is a lot of people have just you know been head head down grind mode to you know keep their business afloat. Um and you can almost forget either why you're doing it, you know, what the, the benefits of doing what you're doing are. Um and actually, you know, we do have to live your life and it, it kind of feels this year that everyone's been surviving rather than thriving and trying to sometimes just refocus and you know understand the why you do the things that you're doing is 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 really important, I think.
0: Yeah, I've seen a, a thing on LinkedIn. Oh, there you go, there's another platform. Um it was a but it was a really nice graphical image demonstrating, you know, it was the kind of like a little uh cartoon of Two, two people, two stick people, and um, one was just, um, it was all coloured yellow, and it was like, this is, work, and it was called work, work hard, and this is what I think I need to do to be successful. And then the other one, it was a bit more of a pie chart with, you know, a little bit of sleep and a little bit of exercise and a little bit of nutrition. So it is about, as you say, um, that balance, isn't it? Oh, um,
1: balance
0: yeah. Um, Tim, I think you could probably um, spend the rest of the afternoon blowing our minds with um, different innovations and uh, social media wizardry um, that's going to be happening um, to dictate our buying habits over the next um, uh, next 12 to 18 months. But, um, you know, I appreciate the time that you've given us already um, sharing your insights into what's happening in, in the world of e-commerce. Um we always like to wrap up the podcast with a bit of advice um, to anyone that's looking to um, ramp up uh, for, I suppose for you, it would be, you know, if they were looking to ramp up their online presence, what would be some of the sort of two or three key takeaways that maybe smaller businesses could deploy uh, in their own digital marketing campaigns today? Ooh,
1: okay, good question. Um I suppose I think it's it's about leveraging the assets that you have available. You know, don't don't stress if you can't create the, the highest quality video in the world or if you don't have huge media budgets. You know, focus on and, and kind of reverse engineer, right, what are your customers potentially going to resonate with? What is that? How do you do your best version of that? And put it out there and not be too worried about, you know, it might not be perfect, it might not be as pretty as you want it to be. So, you know, I know how business owners want To be in control of their brand and, and, and how that communication is so important to get that messaging right, but I think in times like these, if, if you're able to attract you know one person by putting out a podcast, if you're able to attract you know 10 people to your store by posting on LinkedIn, why are you not doing that? Because over time, that audience is going to grow, it's going to compound, and actually, it could b- become a, a really strong marketing channel for you. So, I actually just think doing more than anything rather than you know deliberating and thinking whether it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, starting and putting some of those things into place is, is more important than, than not.
0: Perfect. Start with one. I like that um, as, a, as a way to wrap up. Today, um, thank you so much for sharing your um, your insights and your expertise and your incredible uh, career. Uh, I have no doubt we will be seeing a lot more of you um, on the global stage <laughs> over the coming uh, twelve to eighteen months. Um, and um, you know, thank you so much for um, giving us that um, piece of advice to wrap up uh, today's podcast. If um, for anyone that has been um, really kind of confuddled by all of the sort of different innovations that are happening across all of the platforms. Hopefully Tim's insight um, will help give you a better night's sleep. Thank you. Fast Forward is a weekly interview podcast brought to you by Tech Manchester, an incubator for digital and creative startups in the Northwest. I'm your host, Patricia Keating. The podcast is produced by Sarah Beggy, audio editing by Jamie Guynlock, and music by Parma Violets. If you have any questions, feel free to drop us a line at infotechmanchester.co.uk or follow us on any of our social channels Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, all under Tech Manchester.